Welcome to this episode of the Social Housing Podcast. I'm your host, John Doyle, and today's guest is Tom Robbins from Switchy. Great to have you on board, Tom. How are you? Um, I'm good, John. Thanks Thanks for the invite. Always a, always a pleasure to catch up. Okay, mate. I thought we'd start off. We've had a bit of a chat and there's a few things that are of interest, but Switchy, because, you know, it, it can sometimes be a bit confusing. You tell me a little bit about Switchy, where you sit, what you do, and, you know, a bit of background. Yeah, no worries. So, so Switchy exists to improve the quality of life for people living in, in rented homes. Uh, and we do that by supporting the tenant to reduce their energy bills. It's sort of a sort of smart thermostat kind of capability. But most of our work is really supporting landlords in delivering proactive services, moving away from the reactive traditions of old, really understanding the performance of the fabric of the home, understanding the environmental conditions inside the home and customising their services for the benefit of the tenant and to reduce their operating costs. Sounds like a, you know, an unbelievable package there, Tom. I mean, <laughs> sounds like you're all things to all men. In terms of um, just picking into that a little bit, obviously, you mentioned energy, energy costs are spiraling through the roof. You talk about environment, you know, obviously mold is absolutely front and centre of the consciousness at the moment. So what's your sort of sense of adoption? I, I'm looking at this thinking, well, every every landlord must need it. What, how's it going? <laughs> so look, I, 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 for us, it's going, I, I think it's going really well, but let's also be pragmatic here. You know, um, we were one of the early players in in an in a internet of things market in, in social housing. There's now a number of players in that market. I think if we looked at all of the collective work that's being done in terms of connected homes in the UK at the moment, might be 150, 200,000 maybe out of four, four and a half million social homes. So look, we're in a, we're very, very early days in, in this journey. And I think if you talk to any of the people that do something similar to what we do, we're all very excited about the potential, the possibility, um, the impact that we're making with a small number of devices, but still there's, there's a long road ahead and a, and a long journey. Okay. I mean, I've talked to a number of people on this podcast in, in the past and there's a sense, seems to me to be a sense from landlords themselves and some of the guests we've had about the the fact that social landlords in this country tend to be asset centric in the in their worldview. And only you and I have had this conversation and, and a few other people as well saying, you know, there really is, it's the 21st century. We need to be sort of tenant focused, customer focused. And as far as your work at Switchy is concerned, where does that sit in your rationale and your thinking? So I'm 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 really passionate about this, right? I I really believe that the that we that that we have all the intents of the social in social housing, but the focus the focus has become much more around the asset and the maintenance of the asset rather than the delivery of the service. But I also got to be got to be pragmatic and say, well, why is that? And I think that is because we don't really understand what our what our tenants and what our what our customers are ultimately doing and how they're interacting with our service you know what, what's our two touch points our two touch points are when we collect rent and when we when somebody complains about a problem and you know that's a not a that's a negative relationship with a customer you wouldn't have that relationship with a customer in any other context so without really understanding how the customer is interacting with the property how they're using the service it's very difficult to build a really truly customer centered service 
there's been some great work. You look at the, the I mean, the, the quality of the resin interfaces and the and the the apps that are now available and the the sort of the self service capabilities have come on enormously in 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 the last sort of ten or so years. But actual digital engagement is still very low. I mean, it's, it's typical apps and website engagement. On average, probably in the early 20%, the very good people might be in the 40%. But actually, that means the majority of people, are. we're still at a point where our only interactions are collecting rent and complaining about a repairs problem. So I think one of the things we're really passionate about is that that data is available. It's possible to understand how residents are using homes. And once you get that data, it's quite exciting. You can look at a completely different set of set of variables and a different way of orientating the service. And let me just, just give you an example. Quite a, quite a tangible example. Now, there's a lot of work that's done on the propensity for condensation, damp, and mold based on maybe the age of the property, the, lo- the location of the property, and look, I, both of those are are valuable metrics. But what we see, for example, is that the proportion, the propensity for condensation, damp, and mold, for example, for a, a single mother, is significantly greater. Part of that is how they're interacting with the property. Some of that is the way that they is a, is a defensiveness to complain about a problem and a protectiveness to let other people into a into a private space but if you start centering that service around the individual around the the person rather than around it's a 1930s terrace um, then it's very much our belief we can deliver better more cost-effective services with better outcomes for residents really interesting point that Tom because there has been quite a bit of I don't know backlash in the press over the last few months following on obviously from the disasters around mold um, and the number of times we've heard it's a lifestyle issue, um, almost like let's push the blame out to, to, to the people who live in our assets rather than understand what's going on there. Um, yeah, and I I get quite 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 animated about this. I, I don't think that that poverty is a is a is a lifestyle choice, right? I, I, and I don't believe that that boiling pasta for your kids for dinner is is a, is a lifestyle choice. Now, we do a we we, we monitor tens of thousands of properties we've highlighted a lot of challenges we work with some fantastic progressive landlords that are going out and getting into those properties and understanding what the what the problems are now no doubt about it there is there are some situations where a bit of education and in, in helping a, 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 a resident can make a big difference and that kind of awareness can make a big difference but we also see that the you know the the ventilation of the 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 above the window was painted over 15 years ago that the the extractor fan in the kitchen doesn't work and the, uh, you know and the fuse is gone and no one knows the last time it did work there are some basic maintenance to look at the the performance of of the the simple ventilation capabilities of somebody's home that are, are an important starting point before any other fingers are pointed it's not it's not a behavior choice to live in your you know you, you have to be able to live in your home right it's not that you know otherwise we sort of again we lose the point here are we just focused on the asset or are we designing services for people that need to live in homes and need to boil pasta and make dinner and shower their kids these are reasonable these are reasonable expectations yeah i've I've often heard the one about you know people drying drying the laundry on the radiators and stuff like that and as you say fantastic if you don't have to but if you have to you have to so as you say not choices not not what you call lifestyle choices just like lifestyle facts it's what they've got to do where else are you going to dry it (laughs) you know yeah so I was going to say, with, with, so coming back to the switchy device, the service that you're offering, um, you mentioned propensity for mold and things like that. Talk me through that. Uh, uh, 
So it's one thing talking about it. It's yeah. another thing doing something about it. So, so, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And, I, and I, again, it's, um, uh, so mold is everywhere for starters, right? So mold is just a, a, a sort of a, a, a natural, um, uh, uh, you know, it's it's like bacteria. It's on it's on every surface. It's and there's thousands of different types of mold, and they're in the air around us, and they're off whether they're off plants or the environments that we operate in. Um, really, what we're talking about is I don't know. Remember when you sort of take a sample from the doctor or something? They take that sample, they put it in a petri dish, right? They put it in a and that petri dish is the perfect conditions for that thing to expand and grow, and that makes it an awful lot easier to detect essentially what we're trying to understand is are those petri dish conditions or are those growth conditions in somebody's home um so very similar to that little petri dish that you have with your doctor what's the what what's the mold looking for it's looking for about the right kind of temperature to grow it needs moisture to grow uh, and so typically what you'll find is that you'll be looking for a colder moister type environment is a sort of thing that a, that a mold will want to grow and you can actually you can actually calculate that pretty pretty accurately so what we're trying to determine then is are those conditions likely to exist um, so we will look to take the temperature inside the property we'll look to take the um, the humidity inside the property so we know how much sort of moisture is around and available we also know the temperature outside of the property because we take data from a local weather station so we've got an idea of what, what what that what it is we've got some really good sort of epc data and we can make some smart assumptions as to the the, the sort of the the thermal drop across the wall so if the outside wall is going to be this temperature, therefore, what's the inside wall temperature going to be? And if I know the amount of moisture and the amount and the temperature inside against that cold wall, is water going to moisture going to form on that wall? And so once I've got the temperature, the moisture, I've got a pretty good idea then of uh, of whether mold's likely to form. And what do we do then? We just take a whole bunch of learning. So we've been doing this for, for, for eight years now. We've got over 8 billion data points. We're constantly checking, confirming, and learning to build an algorithm that takes some points from the world around us and is able to very accurately predict the propensity for, for mold. Well, that's got to be... Was that too sounds, much? <laughs> it's great. I mean, it sounds, sounds super scientific, and I like that because there's so much, you know, based on, I don't know, dodgy science if you like it sounds to me like you've got as you say you've got eight billion data points that's a lot of data out there and again it's coming back to this criticism that's often made of uk social landlords everything's reactive and i mean everything not just repairs everything's reactive and i was speaking to a chief exec this week i won't name drop him but he knows who he is super smart super switched on and he's trying to change his entire model to be proactive preemptive is the yep. word he used that sounds to me that's exactly what you're trying to do presumably with switchy yeah absolutely and, and i think we're trying to make that those insights those analytics available at the lowest possible price point to deliver the greatest possible value right and that's you know as we scale out the business one of our real commitments is we're trying to keep it so it is affordable it delivers the fastest possible return on investment um I, I, you know the data that we produce it can deliver value quickly but the 
when combined with some of the broader data sets that a typical housing association will have, you can get into a really nice and interesting pre- predictive model. So we see ourselves as as, a, as some of the information, but we want to work with our partners. We want to work with the the, how, the housing management system providers to pull all that data together and, and create a really interesting package of tangible stuff that a, that a housing association can, can go and do immediately. Okay, so let's think about confidence levels because 80, 80 billion or eight, whatever it was, was a lot. Anyway, yeah, data. It's a lot of, da- it's yeah, a lot of data, yeah. Gives you a lot of data. Does it give you much information? And again, I think you know we see a lot of social landlords obsessed with data, um, and they have been for years. Star surveys with loads of data, which they did nothing about. So data's great, but how about some management information? How about some proper insights on which they can act? Because Coming back to that notion of a propensity for, you know something's coming. Again, there might be a reluctance. Well, that means actually, you know, it's only a tool. You have to put your arm into the tool. You do actually have to do something. So switch is going to tell you something. But then there's no point if you ignore that responsibility. If you ignore what yeah. it's telling you, you, might as well not do it in the first place. And I'm just looking at that as the next step. You know, that yeah. little bit of cultural inertia. Yeah, we've got all the gadgets, all the gizmos, everything. It's great. Yeah. But what about the follow through? Are you seeing with the, you talked about your clients, there has to be a commitment to that follow through, presumably. Yeah, 100%. So let me, I think there's there's sort of two answers or, or two points I'd want to raise in, in response to your in response to your question. Firstly, one has been has been very much a learning journey with, with, with Switchy. You know, we really felt in the early days that we could um, we could produce a whole bunch of really interesting data and then effectively email it across to our customers or drop give them a csv and they would then take that data and do amazing stuff and what we realized was that not many of our no one has a you know sort of an assets analytics team that's expecting to receive this data it's 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 new um and so we found that we would hand over this data and and nothing would happen and it wouldn't happen because actually it wasn't in a form that it was you could do anything with it. Yeah. We've done a lot of work since then, firstly, to improve the, uh, the sort of the tangibility of the information that we present. We've got a much smarter uh, dashboard environment that you can go into and see the biggest problems that you need to, need to get into and get, get some insights on that. But also we've, we've, we've created a, a, a customer success team. And, and I think we are unique in, in, in IOT in, in UK social housing and in this offering in that we will do it with you right we will work we work with our customers and their data we have the weekly meetings to say this is interesting here's something new we'll take the learning across 120 different housing associations and give that to the benefit of all of our customers here's a really interesting report here's something new here's something different so that's something that we're really passionate about whether we feed that through an api whether we fire into the housing management system whether we send it as an email that human element of taking all of that experience we feel that that's part of the service we're delivering a service here rather rather than just a, a package of data. That said, to, uh, the second part of your question is that there are a relatively, I would say, predictable now set of challenges that we, we would go back to customers with. Typically, the mold problem is going to be significantly bigger than what you're aware of, and there's going to be an increased demand on surveying capacity, for example. So we want to work with our customers up front. We want to make sure we have that, that senior stakeholder engagement to say, obviously, your assets are special and different, but we've done this 100 times before, and typically this is what people find out off the back of it. And here are one of the things you want to do next. Do you have the budget? Are you able to do that? Are you able to react to the insight to be able to do something about it? But we're also working with our customers and doing a bit of innovation internally is finding ways that we can reduce that 
burden. There is a shortage of surveyors across the country. You know, it, there's, um, uh, it's not easy to get them, and it's becoming a bottleneck. So, how do we reduce the the, the complexity in, in surveying? Can we do remote surveying? Can we get people to be do video calls on surveying? So we have one surveyors doing a load more that not spending their time traveling. Lots of ways that we can innovate. So it's not just about taking the data, but making the actionable, the action part of that easier as well. Okay. And I suppose as with all um, solutions, you know, you've got a, a software technical solution. It, Again, it's not a solution looking for a problem. We know those problems are out there. So, but it, it comes back to, I suppose, I know there's been some very well highlighted cases in the press, but as you said, molds everywhere. So every single social landlord everywhere has this problem because it, yeah. it's like breathing air, isn't it? And so yeah. I suppose what I'm looking at is something we've talked about previously about pain points and consequences. Who owns it? And what are the consequences if they don't do anything about it? Because, again, without being generalizing too much, in different parts of, of the industry, we've seen issues arise and then path of least resistance to patch it up so the regulator doesn't give me grief rather than actually coming back to the initial point, customer-centric, let's go and fix it for the customer because once it's fixed, it's fixed, you know. So who's, who's you know, in, in a typical social landlord, who is it? Who needs to talk to you? Who is it who's got the biggest pain and whose problem you can solve? I'm not, I think this is much more of a, this is quite an interesting discussion point because we're, see, we're seeing this, you know, evolving in, in front of our eyes at the moment. Uh, particularly, we've seen a, a massive change in the expectation of the, reg, the regulator and the, and the ombudsman in the last 18 months. Um, uh, and uh, my expectation is that, that expect, is that that's, that will that change will be permanent it's not just a couple of characters coming through and what we're seeing is this expectation of that that it's about the service that's being delivered not the process that sits behind it i think we we almost got a bit um I don't know, a bit process orientated. We've got a mold process, fantastic, tick it off. That's not the question. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well done. You, you know, you get your top grades. The, the, what the regulator wants to see now is like, do you understand how big the problem is? And and actually, the answer to that would be, well, I know how many people complained. Right. But do you understand how big the problem is? And I think we're seeing, and I, I do think it's reasonable, but it is very fast and it's changing. We're seeing a different expectation. And that expectation is that you as a service provider, as a, as a social landlord, understand the quality of the service that you're providing. And as the consumer expectation improves, I believe the only way that you can do that is by understanding what's going on inside the home. You know, how do you know that there isn't condensation down a mold if there if the conditions aren't there? And particularly, you know, the, what we see is just the the proportion of invisible people out there, the proportion of customers that have never complained, that have always paid their rent, um, but that are sitting in homes that are well under 15 degrees and well under 10 degrees you don't get a complaint from somebody you don't get you don't get a boiler failure from somebody that's never turned their boiler on right and that in itself is a problem and i think there's a much greater expectation that we understand that as part of the service that's as part of the service that's being provided next question who who owns that right and and uh, what becomes quite challenging about that is that we, uh, most housing associations are, solid's a bit of a cliche, but you've got the people that own the asset and you've got the people that look after the the customer 
But the point at which you get to somebody that owns the service, you're talking chief exec. And I, and I think that's why we're seeing chief execs appearing on ITV. And I think that's why we're seeing chief execs being exposed in a way that they haven't before, because the way that the system is structured, the way it's set up to be asset-centered and reactive means that you don't have that combined ownership until very, very high in the organization. Yeah. And I think that's why CEOs are, are, are worried. And to before, what, what I think they should be, we need a different operating model here. Um, and there's plenty of, you know, if Amazon did social housing, right? I, it, look, this isn't Amazon, but we do need a, a model that's centered around the customer, that's centered around delivering a service, and the other components are supportive of that. At the moment, I just think there's too much focus around managing the things that we know and not enough fear and focus on trying to understand the things that we, we don't know. Yeah, I think I'd absolutely concur with that, Tom. My, all the conversations I've had over the last few years there is very much that it's what uh, landlords expect and what they want. And, you know, we do a lot of behavioral insight stuff. It's the behaviors they want from the customers, the tenants, rather than understanding what are the behaviors of those customers and tenants. And has that got anything to do with the service we're providing? So it's a little bit back to front a lot of the time. So it is an interesting one. And I think um, just listening to you speak there, there are people in those silos, if we call them silos, in that kind of approach, they're doing the job and they're hitting the KPIs and they're doing what they're being asked to do. You know, and that's so you can't there's gonna be no criticism of them. But as you say, the, the job of joining it together and understanding how those things come is higher up the organization. Um so it, it is it is an interesting an interesting think, time for, to be chief I, exec of a social landlord. I, I, I do, and I, I you know, and uh Firstly, hats off because it's it's a it's a it's a tough job, you know, yeah. and 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 you are, uh, and there's a massive change in expectation. You know, there was a it wasn't that long ago that this was the same as a a charity, and it was a best endeavors, yeah. and you know, we're all here for the right reasons, trying to do the right thing, and suddenly you realize you're responsible for running an airline, and if one of these things falls out of the sky, you know, yeah. there are you know people die, and. and I, and I, and I do think that we should be looking at social housing much more in the way that we we look at airlines. And I I think there's a revolution. I think there's a revolution coming. Um, and I think it's a revolution for the right reasons. But the sort of revolution I, I think that we will see is the same as we saw in in you know in in manufacturing in the, in the in the 70s and 80s. A change in mindset from you know what you know meeting targets to what's focusing on failure that kind of real japanese mindset of focusing on failure you know we see that in the airline industry in in the 80s and in the 80s and 90s and there was that right we want to focus on failure what's failing and let's really focus on that you see that very you see that in the high performing formula 1 teams they're not talking about what they did well they're talking about where did we go wrong here and and it's pretty topical this week but if you look at the met and some of the exposés that are coming out of that you're looking at an organization that wasn't looking for failure that was looking to congratulate itself as the best police force in the world i think we're seeing the same change in social housing and that the focus needs to be on what are the unknowns what don't we know about and the biggest part of that unknown is how are our customers using our service and that can be solved interesting again because there are parallels with some of the stuff we do around feedback we've been doing feedback for social landlords for years and where we started from at VoiceGate was a transactional model. It's all evolved with sentiment analysis and all the latest gizmos. But fundamentally, the principle for me of asking for feedback in a private company, 
I want to know what we're doing wrong. Not because I'm negative, but because I need to put that bit right. And if I put all the mistakes right, then my service is fantastic. But there does seem to be a mentality of I've got 95% success so satisfaction. So that's great. And, and it is great. Anything, you know, whatever you get is what you get. But for me, it's the, well, what about the guys who aren't satisfied? Because I tell you what, that's where your learning is. And if you go and address that, it's a bit countercultural because I don't want to talk to people who aren't satisfied. Actually, I do. Yep. In, in private enterprise, I want to do because yep. they're going somewhere else. Now, I know the model's different in, in social housing. But if we can just get that mentality that there are no failures, there's just learning opportunities and op- an opportunity to improve. Um, yeah. And I think that's the big factor. Look, I, I couldn't agree more. And look, it's a, it's a conversation that we, we've had we've had previously is, you know, uh, with VoiceScape, you've got some really powerful ways of engaging with people, understanding what their feedback is. But we also know that if customers are phoned up by somebody, they're more likely to give a positive response. Yeah. So do you, do you go for, do you want to get a larger survey? Do you want to get a larger response that tells you what they really think? Or do you want a smaller response that tells you what you want to hear? And I think it's such an important mindset. We see the same thing with Switchy. So we can do a whole bunch of surveying. We can do a whole bunch of, 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 of uh, customer feedback through the screen. And we send messages and we get a 90% response rate. So you get this fantastic engagement. But what we find is that, is that customers typically give on average a lower score than they would do if they were polled on a smaller number. Very similar to what you, what you find. And it's interesting, the mindset of, cust- of, of housing associations is, do they want to engage with that or would they just rather stay in the safe place of, of, of speaking to happy customers? Yeah, and, and I do empathise. I'm not being super critical. No, no, reg- no, totally. You've got a regulator there and, and the, the game keeps changing all the time. I get that. But from, a, from an ownership, this is what I was saying about ownership and consequences, from an ownership perspective, I wouldn't gain. I, don't, I wouldn't have no interest in gaming a system. And we know there's lots of gaming of systems going on to get the right number. That's a good number for us, so we'll have that. Rather than get the service right, the numbers look after themselves. And if your customers are there prepared to engage with you to tell you about your service, that's gold dust. Take that information and, and apply it. Coming back to, you know, obviously we get on and our companies are complementary. Just thinking about the the ecosystem of technology providers that operate within social housing. It's ever expanding, you know, people like Salesforce coming into the market, all sorts of people out there. What, just out of interest, what's your experience of that and, and your hopes for that, that ecosystem? So firstly, thank you for inviting me on the, on, on, on the podcast today. I think, you know, we as technology providers, there's, there's a lot of precedent in the industry of, of trying to have a one size fits all solution and that you own that you own the whole relationship with that customer and you own the whole technology stack. There's very little kind of best to breed in 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 the market. Um, and I think as technology providers, we're as guilty as anybody on that. You know, I think there's too many people going out and uh, promising the world and selling products that don't exist yet. And I mean, don't get Ryan from TCW started on this one, but like that whole kind of point about we've got to pick what we're good at and we've got to be absolutely outstanding at it. And then we've got to partner and work and constructively work with everyone else. And and I do feel that that market is that conversations as uh, that conversation is starting to change. Um, They're gone are the days where you'd buy 
buy the entire tech stack from one provider. Actually, now there are a range of providers on the market. We're really open to working with other people. We do the bit we do really well, but we'd love to work with anyone else to enrich that data. And that's really how we started this conversation, John. I think you're really brilliant in the bit that you do. We don't do it. Can the two be complementary? Um, and, I, and I really hope, and we're definitely from a switchy perspective, and I hear you very much from a voice get perspective, beating that drum of, you know, that kind of little expertise being outstanding at one thing and then working with everyone else and playing nicely with others is give the best outcome for everybody. I think that's a great point on which to wrap, wrap a great point on which to wrap up our conversation, Tom, because I, you know, I'm an advocate of that. Ultimately, can we add value to the customer experience? And as you say, we can't add value if we're doing things badly. Let's do our bit well and let's partner with other people who are doing their bits well. And I'm glad to say there's a growing number of social landlords out there who recognize that approach. Um, so power to our arm. It's been great to have you on. <laughs> Thank you for the invite, John. Always, always a pleasure. Cheers, Tom. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.